You're listening to Inside Content, the TV industry podcast. This show is brought to you by 3Vision, a global TV industry consultancy specializing in content acquisition, strategy, research, and business development. Each episode, we give you VIP access to the views and experiences of senior TV executives and discuss the latest TV industry trends and insights. In this episode, I speak with Pete Work from Sony Pictures Entertainment on the digital distribution landscape, their arms dealer approach, and in-car entertainment. We partner with pretty much every OTT service there is around the globe. We remain the largest and very vibrant independent studio of all of the studios, and that it's proven a winning strategy for us. You know, and I feel like we are more relevant and we have more deeper relationships. Pete, welcome to Inside Content. Really pleased to have you join us today. I know you're usually on the road quite a bit. So where do we find you today? I'm in sunny Newport Beach, California today, I'm, I'm pleased to say. Very nice, very nice. So you look after new media distribution for Sony Pictures, but the landscape for content consumption becoming increasingly complex. How do you define new distribution opportunities versus old? I mean, is it as simple as anything in the digital world you oversee? Perhaps you could give our audiences an an overview of of what your role entails. Sure. So I think it's changed a lot over the years of what new digital distribution actually is. So, you know, once, once upon a time, I've been at the studio 15 years now, but once upon a time, that was this new horizon of of physical retailers getting into the digital space, right? And there was a sort of race of who could get there first to be relevant in a digital era. I think as time has moved on, what we, what we found is a lot of the physical retailers that tried to transition into digital didn't, didn't do so successfully. And there's been a growth and an explosion of, of new digital services that have grown up rapidly in the last few years, you know, the, the OTT services. So, When we think about what is new, we sort of break it into a couple of different areas, right? So new distribution channels, and that's really one of the ways that technology allows us to interact with consumers and how do we actually connect with them that we couldn't do before. So again, if you go back in time, once upon a time, there was like one route into the the home and that was a satellite connection. And now, you know, the average household has five, six, seven connection points, you know, through IP-enabled devices and and, and satellite and cable and whatever else comes in the future. And so, you know, for us, we look at it and say, what are the partners that we're not working with today that might be important in digital distribution tomorrow? And that's either because they, you know, they have a a need and an understanding that they want to get closer to, to the consumer and create more consumer engagement. And I think nothing does that better than entertainment. Or because of technology, we can now reach consumers in different ways in new formats that perhaps, again, didn't exist 10 years ago, right? 10 years ago, we were <laughs> thinking the future was going to be downloading content to your PC in 72 hours and 37 easy steps, right? And, and I remember when I joined the studio, everyone told me that was going to kill the DVD business in, in the next two years, right? And 15 years later, we still have a very vibrant DVD, Blu-ray business, as well as an OTT business and and lots of different ways to monetize that content. So one exciting and for what I would consider new area is the world of in-car entertainment. 
in many cars now there is connectivity and that brings with it opportunities to deliver entertainment, audio and, and video. I've seen some recent stats which said last year 30 million connected cars were sold and that is estimated to kind of quadruple to sort of 115 million in 2025. How do Sony view this distribution opportunity? I think in a couple of ways. Number one, you know, we as Sony, we've been very public that we, you know, supply everyone. We partner with pretty much every OTT service there is around the globe. We remain the largest and very vibrant independent studio of all of the studios. And and so when we look at in-car entertainment, we think about it in a couple of different ways. One is it's an expansion of the existing ecosystem that we see OTT today. And so giving consumers access to content and services that they have everywhere else in the vehicle, I think is is one touch point that that we see, you know, expanding and exploding as as the the market creates more standardization. You know, and today within the car industry, there's uh, a real challenge of there is no standardization. Every car, every make and model, every operating system to some degree has been different. And so we think that's great. And that will happen just naturally over time. Then more importantly, as we sort of move to a world where we are, you know, electrification becomes important, there's new competition coming into the automotive space, we look at autonomy, we think it lends itself really well to the idea of creating elevated experiences that you can only do in the car, right, and services that are only available or grow up in the car versus, you know, Frankenstein into the vehicle, right, which is the access model. And so... You know, I think from a Sony point of view, we've been looking at it for about five years, you know, trying to to understand, I said, somewhere just after the DVD player, which is still standard fit in some beautiful makes and models of vehicle in in the US market. And before we get to this, you know, flying autonomous, you know, vehicle world, right? And so we've spent a lot of time in the past five years just trying to understand the challenges. And um, I would say... You know, there's a journey that the OEM, the car industry is going through right now. Um, And it's very similar to to the mobile smartphone market development, right? Lots of companies competing with each other, lots of growth, lots of change, lots of disruption, lots of new competition. And that is kind of, you know, exciting, but also really challenging if you're a car company where you're used to everything being standardized, everything is a three to five year cycle, you know, you can be one of the largest car manufacturers in the world, but you may not mean anything in digital distribution to anyone today, right? And so trying to understand and bring car OEMs on this journey of understanding our business, understanding, you know, the, the potential of the future, I think that that's been one of the, I'd say, the most challenging parts of, of my role in the last few years is that you, you simply don't have the knowledge based in that industry. You have the excitement and interest but you know the the road to execution for a whole host of reasons is is just really challenged and and that's really the area where Sony spends a lot of our time right now which is is really working to bring up the knowledge base of that industry of of how to innovate in that space how to differentiate and then how to partner for the future yeah it's the convergence of two completely different industries isn't it and there's a lot of education to be done there but I think that makes it very exciting it's a 
brand new and exciting area to work in. What, just to help sort of educate our audiences a bit more about this space, what sort of services are we seeing at the moment? And what sort of services do you think we're likely to see in the future? I know you and I recently had a conversation with Polestar, the electrical vehicle company jointly owned by Volvo, and and they've launched a Google Play solution. And then you have companies like Tesla, who have integrated with some direct consumer services. Are you able just to share a bit of your um, knowledge about what is currently happening and, and how you think that may evolve? I said it's, it's a really interesting space, right? So every day, depending on the territory of the car company that you speak to, there's different realizations and different things happening, right? So about three or four years ago, everyone was, was moving towards some standard operating systems that were controlled by third parties. And that seemed to be an easy pathway for a lot of car companies to think about, you know, in-car entertainment, right? You know, we adopt someone else's operating system. They're going to bring all the services in. It's going to be awesome. And I would say probably in the last 12 months, there's been some realization, which is if you adopt someone else's operating system, they are the ones that own the consumer. There is standardization. So to create any form of differentiation is almost impossible. So it may be path of least resistance, but it is also you know, something which I think is a short-term win, it perhaps is not a long-term strategy. And unless you're, you're just a car company that, that just wants to be an access point for the world, right? And, that, and that's fine, right? I think some companies, there'll be an access point and they'll try and win on price points with consumers and it's who can produce the most at the lowest cost. And there will be, you know, other, other parts of the industry that say they want to be an engagement point and they want to create new revenues, new services, new opportunity to monetize the consumer, and they want to own the consumer. And so when I sort of look at what is happening today, you're sort of seeing, depending on the car company, different realizations about either adjusting their strategy or or doubling down on what they're already investing in. So you are seeing some, some existing OTT services being somewhat accessible in the car. And I say somewhat accessible. And what I talk about is, you know, anyone can have an app on an operating system attached to a screen. Again, and for some people, that will be completely fine. What it doesn't necessarily address is the unique challenges, first and foremost, of, of in-car. So driver safety, control functionality, you know, how do you get content across all of the screens? How do you ensure a consistent experience, you know, when you're on a you know, cellular network. There's all of these things that the car company has to try and figure out, which if you're just an access point for an app, the OTT service provider is is very unlikely to to help you solve those problems, right? So you do have, you know, the press releases and the statements of certain OTT services being available in the car. They're not optimized for the car, right? And the difference is, is that I feel like most consumers today, they accept the fact that if they, if they buy a connected TV or a smartphone, they will often have an inconsistent experience you know, on those devices of you know, the quality level or whether something fails and works. I think it's a little bit different for a car company, right? Where you buy the car once every you know, seven to 10 years and everything needs to work. Right. And and part of the challenge is, you know, if you put your kids in the back of the vehicle and all they're seeing is a circle of death because the car company hasn't got enough, 
you know, memory capacity that it's not caching enough to consistently sort of buffer for when there's network outage. That car probably goes back to the dealership and people say, my, my rear seat entertainment screens are not working, right? The services that are apparently accessible, they barely work and I have to listen to my kids screaming in the back of the car. And so, you know, I think the, the idea of an, an app for that accessibility of everything because it is, I think that's really challenged. Over time with standardization, better network coverage, more consistency in the components, probably more consumer education of like, oh, it's not working because, you know, I've just lost connection again. I think that will become somewhat easier. But when you solve that basic sort of access, which I sort of, you know, I always, I always do the comparison. I might have done this on our last panel, which is Uber was an amazing experience company for most consumers the very first time that they did it, right? Because the comparison prior to that was, you know, the here in Los Angeles, it was the yellow cap, right? Turned up 30 minutes later, the cab driver weren't particularly friendly. And, you know, you paid exorbitant amounts of money for an inconsistent, expensive service. And then suddenly Uber came along and it was a beautiful app and everything was paid for. And I could rate the driver and the driver could rate me. And I knew it was waiting outside. And for a moment, that was the experience. And so that what I'm liking this to is, when you first put some apps in a car that you can press play on, there will be a moment where consumers go, wow, that's an experience, right? Very quickly that diminishes. And so in Uber's case, the second Lyft came along, which was the competitor of the UK, Europe, Bolt and a few others. Suddenly it's a utility, right? I'm expected to have it and I measure it only on price and how long it takes to get to me, right? And so, you know, as car companies work to Frankenstein in these basic services, there will be a moment where consumers are, oh, that's fantastic, it, it's there. There'll be some frustration points, but then it's just expected, right? Well, of, of course my services are there in the car. Why wouldn't they be? They're on my smartphone and everywhere else. And at that point, then what is the value proposition for the car company? What is the experience that you create for the consumer when you don't control the services, the operating system, or the consumer touch point. And so that's the area where I feel like this new horizon of opportunity is perhaps, you know, so somewhat finding its way to the forefront within a lot of car companies to say, actually, if we want to create these future vision experiences, and, and I think if you look at, if you look across the world and, and, I, and I point to one company, I think they're a fabulous company, by the way, is, is, is Hololite, right? Uh, it's a spinoff from, from, from the Audi group, if ever of your listeners have not got the opportunity to, to, to go and do this experience, go and do it. And it is really demonstrating what it means to understand, you know, data from the car and integrate that into an immersive experience, right? And I still would say today that's one of the best experiences in the car that you can do that shows what the future looks like. The problem is how do you get there, right? So... If you're a car company, you don't own content production, you don't own the operating system, you don't own the consumer discussion, right? How do you get from where we are today to immersive, interactive VR headsets, you know, with customized experiences developed for a car brand? There's really no way of getting there. And so, you know, a lot of what we try to do is to explain, you know, Today, you need to make sure you're making some level of investment that says 
you, you understand the importance of only the consumer creating differentiated, elevated experiences. You understand someone like Sony, which is the world's largest entertainment company across all of our mediums and verticals. And also we quite well at making hardware and sensors and a whole bunch of host of, of stuff within, within the Sony umbrella. By doing some basic stuff today, you can start to think about how you actually realize that future. Because otherwise what's gonna happen is in about 10 years time from now, that future may be discovered, you're just not gonna own that, that consumer discussion, right? You're certainly not gonna share the revenue. You're certainly not gonna get a customized experience to differentiate your brand in an, in an autonomous world. And that's the sort of, I think, realization we're seeing sort of, let's, let's get it in the car, anything we can, create a press release, it kind of works tick a box and then this other camp of like we really want to figure out what we're going to do in 15 years right but we're perhaps perhaps not all of the capability or knowledge to go from a to b mm. i would completely agree pete from the services that you know i've, I've played around with in, in various cars and we don't need to name them all today but there's a long way to go before we get to the kind of ultimate optimized experience for in-car and there are some real unique challenges to to getting there but it's it's great to know that you know sony are you know as a big distributor and obviously hardware manufacturer producer in that space and, and helping guide some of those companies through it so i think it's exciting and i'm you know i, I look forward to continuing to monitor the developments there Let's let's move on and, and talk about the changing distribution landscape. The industry has always faced change. That's why we love working in it. But it's really going through an incredible period of, of evolution at the moment. And one huge area is that most of the big studios are transitioning their businesses towards direct-to-consumer. We're tracking through our, our show tracker tool increased levels of vertical integration, which is obviously the, the selling of a distributor's own content to their own services. So far this year, we've seen 52% of premieres of US studios in uh, sort of US studio shows in Europe were on services owned by the distributor of that show. And that's up 24% from 2020. So it's significant. But one exception to this shift is, of course, you guys who are, are going down the route of open to everyone for, for business. And I know you keep getting referred to in the press as an arms dealer, but you've told me off about this in the past and that we're going to call you Switzerland, which is, I guess, more of a positive way to describe your, your position. But why? Why have Sony High Level Pete taken this license to all strategy? Look, and I'll start with the positive. Look, we we have been very public, you know, talking about being an arms trader, right? We supply everyone. I take a slightly, I said, less aggressive stance as you refer to, which is I, I tell everyone, I tell everyone we're Switzerland, right? We partner with everyone, we're at war with no one. For the for the non-European listeners, that, that may not make a, a lot of sense, but trust me, do some research on Switzerland, you'll, you'll see. So, no, I think we made a decision really early on as, as a studio that we've built a stable of content. We have a huge, you know, lineup of both major TV shows as well as feature films. And, and our business has been built on 
producing fantastic content with great creators, right? That's that's the backbone of, you know, for the last 30 odd years since Sony purchased Columbia Pictures and the you know, 60 years prior to, that is what built the studio. The studio was never producing content for its own services. It was always producing content for wherever consumer was wanted to consume our content, whether that is, you know, in a theater, on a DVD, free TV, give them as much access as you can to your content and really focus the studio is producing great content, right? We still very much believe in that, right? So as, as the world sort of rushed towards this, you know, a world domination, one size fits all, we very quickly made a decision that we would go the, the opposite direction. We would continue to supply everyone with, with great content and we'd really focus on producing great content and so you know if you look at something like the crown that just won a bunch of emmys this, this past week that's a great example we have a fantastic relationship and partnership with services like netflix and we're really focused on producing great content and great content is what wins with consumers not who has the buy button or who owns the subscription right and so we double down triple down on the idea that we we will continue to supply everyone and that's not a new strategy you know, that's what we've always done. We've always supplied everyone. It used to be, you know, the fights between pay TV operators or free TV channels. And, and this is the new battle, right, of, of OTT services with their walled gardens and their own, their own services. And that has proven thus far, and, and I think, you know, publicly is, is out there, that it's it proven a winning strategy for us. And, you know, and I feel like we are more relevant and we have more deeper relationships and we are you know certainly from a creator's point of view with our commitment to the theatrical space which we, we again we absolutely believe in the theatricality as Tom Rothman always talks about of, of our the content that we put out there that is a really important window and partners in that space are really important to us just as the OT2 new digital direct-to-consumer services are really important to us. Mm. The belief in the continued belief in theatrical that's something I'd just quickly like to touch upon Pete specifically in relation to talent you know we've seen some really high profile cases out there where upset has been caused by different studios changing windowing practices we've all heard of the Scarlett Johansson and Disney saga does your sell to everyone strategy perhaps position you more favorably with talent? I mean, does it enable you to perhaps protect and attract better talent because you're continuing with uh, traditional windowing practices? I, I think it's too difficult to talk generically for the whole industry, right? Each creator has a vision, right? So, you know, uh, there are certain creators that are absolutely believers and they're producing things for the big screen, right? And they do a fantastic job. We're in a world of where the definition of what a creator wants to do or where they create content for is changing rapidly, right? There's a, a whole army of social media influencers will tell you they're creating compelling content each day. They're not making that for the cinema, right? They're making that for a four inch you know, mobile screen and it's 15 seconds long. So I think what we want to make sure is that we we are a home to, to all creators, right? Whether they are, you know, producing big blockbuster movies that they want for the theatrical window or whether they are producing, you know, short form content for TikTok or Snapchat, Instagram, whatever it is in, in the future, right? We think, 
again, it's not really for us to be dictating where that content should be. I think it's 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 working with creators to find the best home for our content to reach the, the consumers in the way that those creators, you know, intended. And ultimately, I think I think you know that is where we we truly believe we need to start, which is we are a creative industry. And as soon as you just take a sort of, you know, I hate to say banker approach, but as soon as you just take that approach of like, okay, we're just trying to drive to subscribers, so who cares? You're really losing, you know, sight of, I think, the essence of our industry, which is creativity. Mm. So the focus remains great IP, great content, that sells. (laughs) Absolutely. Sony does, of course, have some direct-to-consumer activity. I think you've just completed your acquisition of Crunchyroll from AT&T and, and Warner Media, which will now sit under Funimation. And for those of you that may not have heard of Funimation, that's one of the kind of leading distributors of anime and, and foreign entertainment properties in America. And then there's, of course, Pure Flix, which was acquired last year. Can you tell our audiences a little bit more about these services and perhaps why you see a place for D2C here, because they seem more community focused and niche as opposed to some of the mainstream services that have been launched by by other studios. Perhaps that's Sony's approach to, to D2C for now. Yeah, it's, it's funny. You use the word niche, and I, I don't think we ever think about those services in that way, right? It's creating content and services for specific communities of interest, right? So targeting specific communities versus the one-size-fits-all global approach that a lot of services, you know, today take. We think that's really important, right? Again, this goes back to, you know, putting the best forms of content in front of very, you know, passionate, engaged consumers. That doesn't mean that every consumer wants to, you know, sift through 16,000 movies to try and find content that may be specifically relevant, Right. You know, PureFlix is a, is a fantastic faith-based and family service that we, we acquired here in, in the US. There is a community that really wants to, you know, deliver that type of commitment to, to their family and, and have a specific experience from a service, right? And so we've been very public that we are very much focused on these communities of interest where we believe they are not necessarily serviced fully by global services, where there perhaps isn't the focus on the genres or the actual communities themselves in a big enough way, you know, by these sort of global propositions. And so we feel that that's that's a great place, right? Um, If you look at anime, you know, as you you mentioned, we've just acquired Crunchyroll uh, alongside our our Funimation acquisition, I think three years ago now. We think that the anime space is a really exciting place, right? We think there's an audience there that that is super engaged and is very clear about the type of content that they want. And so blending that and losing that in to all these other services, you know, I, I, just, I just don't think is right for everyone, right? And so um, we'll continue to work on, you know, building services for specific communities. We've done that recently with, with you know, the announcement of a, a service for, for our, our Bravia sister company. So our connected TV company has a service called Bravia Core. That is focused on, you know, passionate Sony consumers um, accessing and, you know, content from a Sony service through an optimized for a Sony device. That is not for everyone, but for the AV enthusiasts, for the consumers that are passionate about, 
the Sony experiences. We want to give them the best possible experience. And that is, again, a very important community to us. And so um, I think you'll, you'll see us you know, continuing down that road. And I'm sure there'll be things that you'll, you'll hear about in the next year or two you know, that will continue down sort of going after and identifying those specific communities of interest. That's interesting. We'll certainly keep an eye on that. Uh, just to finish today, Pete, would love to get your predictions for the next big trends in digital distribution. Please go ahead and spill some beans on sort of industry secrets. I'm sure everyone will be interested to, to learn what they may be. Yeah, I'd like to tell you I know what the answer is. Um, I don't. I've been doing this 15 years. And yeah, certainly if I could have predicted correctly, I, uh, I probably would have been retired by now. Um, look, I think we're just starting to touch upon really utilizing technology and in, in the techniques for producing content, as well as the, the ways in which we can deliver, distribute content through different screens, different mediums. And so... Whilst I think in the early days of things like virtual reality, you sort of had this sort of big bang of everyone needed to do something in VR and then the realization that perhaps it was probably too early and too expensive. I think as we sort of head down the road of this, you know, we're now producing, we have an innovation studio on the Sony lot that we announced about three years ago and that is specializing in volumetric, volumetric capture for virtual set production. What that simply means is the talent is not standing on a real set. Everything is, is a virtualized set. And set production will, you know, first and foremost, in its infancy, it will, it will help reduce cost because you won't have to have talent flying all over the world to be in a location for two scenes. But over time, it will lend itself well for, for more immersive content production and delivery. And when you, when you look at things like virtual set production, and you start to look at the way that we create our assets, um, whether that be in, say, an Unreal Engine or Unity Engine or a game-based engine, you're seeing a convergence of the sort of way you, you produce games and the way you produce films. And so, you know, my, my thought is over time, as, as the metaverse becomes a, a reality, we will start to be able to realize different forms of content that are talking to those new technologies and the other thing which I think you're, you're seeing is, and COVID, I think, accelerated this, which is, you know, prior to COVID, I feel like only a small percentage of the business community and consumers would ever do a video chat, right? Um, I certainly used to, I used to think of it being really strange and weird early stages of like, why does somebody want a video chat, right? I feel like we've now gone the polar opposite way, which is now... I don't know anyone that really doesn't hit video chat when they phone me, right? Or if I'm doing a meeting, everyone's on video virtually. I think what that's done is accelerated people's comfort level with being on camera all of the time. And so you're starting to see certain you know, TV companies you know, release smart TVs with integrated cameras and mics again, which you know, fell off a few years ago because the idea that I might want to sit on my sofa and do, you know, a Zoom call or Teams call, I think exponentially is, is more relevant. But what that means is, is that for the first time, you've got consumers' comfort levels and devices that can create bi-directional discussions. And so, you know, what I, what I think it lends itself to is, is having interactive formats. 
right? Creating new ways to produce content with consumers at home where they are part of, of the production, right? And so I think you end up with this more immersion, bi-directional, you know, forms of content that can actually be produced at scale, where I feel like, you know, the, the VR of it all for, is just an example of where it's probably too soon. Everyone got a lot of hype and then perhaps it's sort of on the slow road now to the future. But um, yeah, my, my prediction would be more immersion, more scalability, I think, really based upon first and foremost, it being uh, way cheaper now to, to sort of do these type of development in virtual set productions and, and so on. So, And I can imagine as well, Pete, that the virtual set developments must have come in really handy during the past sort of 18 months to, to two years as well. It's been a real pleasure to chat to you today and I could spend, you know, another sort of 30 minutes going into going into so many more areas. But it's really exciting what the future holds and your role is certainly up there as as one of the most interesting, I I think, in the industry. Thank you so much for your time and and really look forward to, to catching up soon, hopefully in person. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Good to speak to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside Content from 3Vision. You can always reach out to us at 3vision.tv if you want to learn more. Or if you're a business with ambition in the content world, our consultancy services can help. With decades of combined experience, we know the ins and outs of the industry like nobody else. Catch us next time on Inside Content.